what are those specific things in that client experience that does wow people and really makes you loyal to whoever you're working with? As you know, Scott, I also worked about 10 years with the Walt Disney Company, and they do so much research on consumer data and focus on the guest experience. Why? Because they know that if somebody has a great experience, they, they're going to have a lifetime customer. And if you think about why you had that wow reaction, I will almost guarantee you nine times out of 10, it had to do with the client experience and nothing else, maybe not even the product. We've uh, had the opportunity to collect some pretty good practices from advisors over the years on uh, those types of ways that they communicate with clients to differentiate themselves. And in our minds, that's often what explains the difference between that $2 million and $400,000 producer. It really has very little to do with investment performance or their acumen as it relates to different investment products and services. But it's crazy to me that the, the, the reason that they're happy or staying with your advisors isn't even how their money is performing. It's because of the experience that they're, that they're having. And if that doesn't explain how important that customer experience is, I don't know what does. So you look at your weaknesses, you look at your strengths, you look at yourself and say, if, if I was going to be an opponent facing us, where am I seeing flaws, vulnerabilities, weaknesses that I can attack? How do you avoid the client annoyance of being asked for the same information over and over again? You wonder how many of these leaders or executives have gone through their own experience. Hello and welcome to the Stathis Mattel Untangling Fintech podcast series. Our focus in this series is to provide you with an understanding of the myriad of technological offerings in our channel, an awareness of the competitive impact of evolving technologies, and knowledge that enables you to make confident strategic technology decisions. This episode, titled Meeting Client Communications Expectations, will focus on all the necessary and critical client communications that occur in addition to the direct communication between the advisor and the client. These communications will focus on managing and evolving the client relationship and can be executed through a variety of digital means or by physical mailings. These touches may be expertly planned, timed, monitored, and managed if they are to create the desired nurturing and differentiated client experience. Smart organizations will take inventory of every client communication touchpoint and make sure that they are leveraging each of these for optimal relationship development. This discussion will delve into how to expertly manage these communications in a way that will meet and ideally exceed client expectations. Our hosts are Scott Stathis and Bob Mattel, and we would like to express our gratitude to Doxim for the support in making today's episode possible. And now I'll turn it over to our hosts. Hello, I am Scott Stathis, and I will be your moderator along with Bob Mattel, and we would like to thank our friends from Doxim for hosting this episode. Today, we're going to focus on the necessary and critical investment client communications that often get taken for granted. Uh, and I'm not talking about the communications between the advisor and the client, but what I am talking about are all the additional, mostly nonverbal communications. For example, online, print, marketing, onboarding, compliance, et cetera. And those communications take place with clients related to account management and their opportunities to differentiate your services. But those opportunities are often wasted for a lack of strategic and tactical planning. So how do you remedy that will be the focus of today's discussion. And we are joined today by two investment program managers and two subject matter experts. Each will introduce themselves shortly. But first, I'd like to let our co-host, Bob Mattel, introduce himself. Bob? 
Hello, I am Bob Mattel, the co-producer of this podcast, and we have a great panel for you today, and I think it's time to get started. All right, so let's have our guests introduce themselves, and we'll start with our two subject matter experts from Doxum. Anna? Hi, I am Anna Hockett. I am a senior national sales associate with Doxum. I am so excited to be here. So Scott and Bob, thank you so much for looping us in and having us here. Um, so Doxum has been a customer communications management provider for over 20 years. And I am fortunate to have been with Doxum for almost two. And even though my, my time with Doxum hasn't been super, super lengthy, um, we're, I'm working with lots of banks, credit unions, wealth management firms throughout the country or throughout North America that need help with, with communicating all across the board, whether it's print and mail, text messaging, email marketing, all of those types of things to their clients. And I'm fortunate to also have my VP of sales, Scott Orr, on with us. I'll let him introduce himself right now. All right, Scott, you're up. All right. Thank you. And Anna, thank you for those kind words. Yes, I echo Anna's comments. It is a pleasure to uh, to be with everybody and uh, looking forward to a very nice discussion. Uh, yeah. So Anna, as she mentioned, I am the VP of sales um, at the Doxum. Uh, my history is I was with a, an organization that was uh, acquired by Doxum about two years ago. And uh, really, um, Doxum uh, specializes in helping organizations to maximize their communication and their FaceTime uh, that they have with their clients. And uh, really, we've been a software and a technology company that specialize in the digital transformation and, and that journey and helping clients uh, go down that path successfully. All right. Well, we appreciate both of you being here with us today. And uh, let's have our two investment program managers introduce themselves. Uh, Don? Uh, good morning. My name is Don Clark. I'm with Wintrust Wealth Management uh, based in Chicago. I am responsible for our uh, relationship with our banking partners. We have uh, 15 different bank charters and about 180 branches located in uh, Chicagoland, Northwest Indiana, and Southern Wisconsin. We have about 40 advisors in those branches and produce about uh, $35 million in uh, revenue annually. All right. Thanks, Don. T.O., Hey, Scott. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for this opportunity. So my name is Theo Trendefier, Program Manager at Investment Services at UW Credit Union out of uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Our program was started as a credit union for staff and faculty at uh, the University of uh, Wisconsin. And now we are covering uh, pretty much any communities in the Milwaukee and Madison area. Glad to be here. All right. And thanks for joining us, Tio. All right. So let's jump into the discussion. And Anna, I'm going to ask you the first question, and it has to do with client expectations. So clearly over the past, let's say, decade or 15 years, client expectations have increased dramatically. And, you know, maybe it's because we've been spoiled by technology, right? It's, it's, it should be a lot easier for companies to communicate with us the way we want to be communicated with. And it becomes very obvious when that doesn't happen, right? So, so from, a, from a client communications standpoint and, and the increased expectations of client communications, how have you seen from your position the expectations evolve um, and how does that impact the way clients want to be communicated with? Uh, so first, I think there, there's, I have a two-part answer to that. 
And one um, is to talk a little bit to your timeline. So let's talk about how much technology has changed. Um, so to think about that entire breadth of, of change in the last 15 to 20 years is, is massive. And to think about how organizations are having to evolve. And if they haven't already evolved, they're going to be they're going to become irrelevant very soon. There's, there's another huge piece that also has to do with how well we know the folks that we're trying to communicate with. So to think about the fact that maybe 20 years ago, one of the only methods of communication was through paper mailings in the post office. And now we're looking at how to how to best communicate, you know, through through a smartphone and through you know the 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 most immediate forms of communication possible. I think that those are things that that organizations are having to to dive into, and they they never really did before because they had maybe one or two streams of communication. But now there's all these different streams of communication. So it's our job and it's our clients' jobs to figure out what the best way is to communicate to to their client base. And I think that organizations are finding out the, the better and better they understand and know their client base, the more engaged they're going to keep their they're going to keep those clients throughout the throughout the entire client journey. There's there's multiple levels of involvement that have gone on throughout client communication from the last 20 years to even the last six months. Yeah, so that that I think lays a good foundation for the discussion. So let me ask you a follow-on question. Then I'd like to get some feedback from the rest of you as as we create this foundation for the discussion. So, Anna, you mentioned the evolution of the number of ways in which we and and again, let's be specific to the investment services industry, right? Uh, the number of ways in which we now can communicate with our clients, right? It used to be it was primarily verbal and print, right? Now you have such a wide variety of ways to communicate with, with your clients, right? So, so I want to kind of drill into the client experience, right? Because if you think of the client experience, uh, it may be the most powerful and one of the very few ways that firms can differentiate themselves, right? And, and when I say that, I, anybody listening should think about themselves as a consumer and think about instances when you've been wowed by a company and you didn't really expect to be, right? You came away from the experience like, wow, that was impressive. They did a really good job with whatever it is, right? And if you think about why you had that wow reaction, I will almost guarantee you nine times out of 10, it had to do with the client experience and nothing else. Maybe not even the product, just the client experience, right? So I think we as an industry have to really think hard about the client experience that our clients are experiencing when they're working with our firms and how to use that as a differentiator. So long lead into the question. So the question is this. So the client experience is one of the few ways an organization has to differentiate itself. It must be consistently impressive across multiple touch points now, right? Because there are so many touch points. However, uh, I think most organizations leave many aspects of that client experience to chance, which is a mistake, right? They're not strategic enough about it. They're not tactical enough about it. They don't do enough planning about that wide breadth of client experience that we now have an opportunity to impress with, right? So, so how do you avoid that mistake? Uh, first of all, another great question, Scott. But I think that there's there's a couple different ways, and I, I'm so excited to hear Tio and Don's opinion on this stuff because we do tons of research to figure out 
like, what are those specific things, Scott, in that client experience that does wow people and really makes you loyal to whoever you're working with, whether it's making sure that you get a package on time from Amazon or, or have an experience from Spotify. They just came out with the year in review and it shows you all these different things that you like throughout the year. And everybody on social media, it seems like in the last four days has just blown up with their Spotify story for the year. No one really cares what kind of music people are listening to, but we feel like Spotify knows us so well. And then they tell us, hey, check this out. You might like this artist. You might like this. So I guess my point to bringing any of that up is understanding that the the little things matter to people. Um, and maybe they did in the past, but maybe in the past we were able to take people out to dinner all the time or take our, our really large clients to fancy trips or do fancy things like that. We're now we have to we have to show that we know our clients so well and, and understand our clients' needs and then meet those needs so that it, it's a lot different than, than it used to be the term I, I would use would would truly be elevating that client experience. And how do we get there? I mean, that's, I guess, there, there, I have a lot of answers for that, but I'd, I'd be really anxious to hear what Tio and Don are seeing in their roles as far as it relates to the, the client experience in this wealth space. I, well, so there's your challenge, Tio and Don. <laughs> what, what do you guys think? Which, which one do you want to take the first swing at that? Well, Scott, I'll, I'll, I'll go. So, um, y- you know, as as an industry, because of a lot of regulation that uh, surrounds us, we've been very um, slow to adapt to so many new channels that we have from a communications perspective. I want to take a step back and, and think about, um, you know, the hospitality industry. As you know, Scott, I also um, worked about 10 years with the Walt Disney Company. And they do so much, so much research on on consumer data, and uh, focus on the guest experience. Why? Because they know that if somebody has a great experience, they they're gonna have a lifetime customer. And the same is true for us. And uh, like I said in the past, we we have always talked about uh, the investment performance is most important. Yet research shows us that that is really down the list when it comes to why clients leave their advisors and their firms. Mostly it's because they don't have that interaction. They don't feel that connection. I, I agree with Anna, you know, we, we need to, to really ensure that, you know, we have the right channels and the right communication for clients. And, and the way I see it also is really needing to understand our clients, right? The time where, you know, one, one size fits all is gone. And because of all the other industries around us have so much customized the client experience, we need to do that in the investment services industry as well. I mean, we talked about Amazon, right? Uh, before you even think about ordering, they already know that you're supposed to order that, that item, right? And I, and I think, you know, that is very important. And that's where we as an industry have to get to as well. Yeah, agreed. Don, thoughts? Yeah, I agree with, with a lot of... Uh, Tio said, when, it, when I think about um, our practice, I think about our strategies to communicate with clients at both the firm level and the FA level. And in, in some cases, um, you know, they, they work in concert. In other cases, our FAs will go above and beyond what our firm is uh, expecting them to do. But, you know, the question really, in my mind, comes 
from um, where, where do client expectations arise from? And they, they, they come to the table with their own expectations, how they individually want to be treated in exchange for uh, their patronage, their, their loyalty, their relationship. Uh, and then also we as a firm will make a brand promise to uh, to clients what, what they can expect by uh, working with us. And then further, our advisors will will do the same. At the firm level, you know, it's important for us to communicate regularly with clients. And mo- most often our, you know, communication with our, our clients has to do with, you know, what they can expect from working with Wintrust and our financial advisors. And, and for us, it begins with uh, the onboarding process and, and that process of discovery that our advisors will employ, a way to identify what uh, client needs might be, take inventory of what they're doing today uh, well or otherwise, then help connect them with their future goals, um, turn them into a way of being by connecting uh, those goals to the actions that they take today. Uh, from there, we also uh, you know, communicate regularly on matters of the economy and markets. Uh, we do produce a, uh, a point of view uh, on a quarterly basis, we have a weekly commentary and uh, market analysis that we send out uh, to our clients and also a, a monthly newsletter that they can receive. But that's, uh, those are the types of things that um, our clients want and all receive and our, our prospects in many cases can receive them. Our strategic partners, both internally and externally, can receive them. You know, Some of the questions we have with our advisors are, why would uh, two advisors similarly situated with regard to their knowledge base, their level of uh, investment expertise, the number of years that they've had in the business or in practice, why would one be producing at a you know two million dollar in annual revenue level and one producing at a you know four hundred thousand dollar in annual revenue? And for us, it comes down to the experience and how we communicate with those clients, how we onboard them, how we work with them on a regular basis. Uh, we've we've uh, had the opportunity to collect some pretty good practices from advisors over the years on uh, those types of uh, ways that they communicate with clients to differentiate themselves. And in, in our minds, that's often what explains the difference between that two million dollar and four hundred thousand dollar producer. It really has very little to do, uh, you know, as Tio said, with investment performance or you know their acumen as it relates to uh, different investment products and services. But it's crazy to me that. The, the, the reason that they're happy or staying with your advisors isn't even how their money is performing. It's because of the experience that they're, that they're having. And if that doesn't explain how important that customer experience is, I don't know what does. Well, brokers, right? Stockbrokers used to provide access to financial products and markets uh, for for clients. Uh, that's really no longer the case, right? We can we can. Uh, on our phones today, we can access <laughs> markets and financial products. Uh, but the reality is, is, is that there's very little relationship, I, I believe, between strong investment performance and the likelihood of you accomplishing or achieving your, your long-term goals and objectives. It really has more to do with your advisor's ability to keep you connected to those goals and objectives uh, and keep you invested in, in good markets and, and bad, uh, present you with ideas. And, and the best way to do that is to help that client know that they're they're part of something, they're doing something, they're here for a purpose. And, and the best communication in my mind does that. It binds the, the, the client to the advisor and most importantly, uh, through the advisor to, to his or her goals and objectives. That's just something you don't get if you go on, if you're a do-it-yourselfer. Of course. Do you mention kind of the onboarding process for your team or for, you know, where you guys have seen the most success? When did you start doing that or is it, has that evolved in the last couple of years? 
It's evolved and it continues to evolve. Um, I would like to say that uh, from the advisor standpoint that there is a wind trust way. But one of the cool things actually about the uh, pandemic has been that uh, while we've been socially distant from our, our advisors, we, we've as managers and leaders have had to figure out ways to get closer uh, to our advisors, you know, considering the distance. And that is also true uh, for our advisors who are unable to, you know, necessarily sit uh, shoulder to shoulder across a, a, you know, a round table from a client. So uh, in, in our endeavor to get closer with our advisors, we had um, call every day for <laughs> three months. And it was an advisor led type of conversation. Uh, and every day had a different uh, topic. And, th- and that topic was bar- brought by the advisor. And what we learned is that, again, it's really not a coincidence that our top performing advisors are the best in terms of how they onboard a client and how they keep a client engaged. And it, it comes down to things like their understanding you know, your client beyond investment objectives. It comes down to understanding what's really important to your clients and the things that they like to do and the affinities that they have, for example. And our best advisors are able to uh, gather those affinities, put uh, clients into groups of affinities, and then tailor intimate uh, type of events and tailored communication uh, for those clients based upon uh, their affinity. Why is that important? It's because you're, you're, you're illustrating to the client that you've heard him or her. I, I, I hear you. I understand what's important to you. Uh, and as a result, I, I want to invite you to this event or I want to include you in this communication because I know that this particular thing is important. Uh, we also have advisors who, who aren't so good at that. And again, I, I think their you know, practices reflect that. Our, our best advisors have a process. They have a communication strategy beyond the firms, uh, and it does make a big impact upon their practice. And, you know, of course, therefore, the client experience, and that's what drives the revenue. Absolutely, and it differentiates you guys. I, I'd like to think so. Um, you know, <laughs> our, 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 enti- our entire brand at Wintrust, we were founded uh, by, by Ed Waymer uh, at the holding company level. Um, Ed Wehmer was a uh, accountant and he was tired of seeing how his clients were being treated by super regional banks. And he woke up one day and said, I think I can do this better. And literally around a card table in a garage, uh, he and his uh, friends and a couple of beers gathered <laughs> capital and uh, started a bank. And, and 20, what, three years later, I think, 24 years later, here, here we are. So it's, it's ingrained in our fiber. <laughs> to make sure that we, we work with clients in a way that, that they wouldn't be worked with at, at other uh, institutions. And that, that does speak to how we communicate and the experience we want to deliver. Let me give you a few, a few thoughts as I, as I listen to you guys discuss this, because it's really interesting. And, and um, I'll give you a few thoughts that I think summarize uh, some of what you're talking about. And I, and I know uh, Bob has a, a question about first impressions that he wants to ask, which which relates to the onboarding you're talking about. But but the few thoughts are this. Uh, one is, and this is something that Bob has heard me say many times, but um, Don, you mentioned uh, a few times process, right? And if you, if you think about it, your firm and your advisors um, are selling one thing and one thing only as their value added, and that is your process, right? So what I mean by that is, um, and let's take it from an advisor standpoint, as, as, as they help their clients, the products that they use, the annuities, the advisory accounts, the insurance, whatever it is, that's not their products, right? That's somebody else's product. It's not theirs. What is their product? Well, their product is the advice that they're giving, but the advice they're giving 
is very simply based on their process. So what is their process? What, what is the process they're using to get to know their clients? And I'm not talking about where their clients' assets are. I'm talking about things like, what does it mean to their clients for them to take care of their loved ones, right? Why is money important to their clients? Uh, what are the emotional things that affect their financial decisions? That's how you get to know a client. And that's how you get a client to trust you and allow you to manage the overwhelming majority of their investable assets, right? So it's their process that enables that. It's their process that differentiates them. Their process is more than just the discussions they have with their client. It's some of this other stuff that we're talking about now. And so their process is their product. That's the only product they have, period, right? Think about that. And if they don't focus on, and if our firms don't focus on refining that process, so it's better than anybody else's, you're out of business in five years, you know? You're, so the process is your product. So, so, so let's realize that and do the best we can on making our process bulletproof and impressive, you know? And that's part of why we're having this discussion today, okay? So let me make one other point. We're talking about differentiation. I'll tell you how easy it is to differentiate yourselves today. This is how easy it is, right? And this is completely ironic if you really think about it. You want to differentiate yourself? Have a live person answer the phone when a customer calls you, right? Not a voice activated system. You're differentiated right off the bat, right. easily, right? I mean, and that's ironic because you think 20 years ago, you, you know, it's a head scratcher. <laughs> so anyway, those two points I wanted to make, I want to hand it off to Bob because I, mm -hmm. like I said, I know he has a question he wants to ask. Well, and you're right, Scott. Uh, well, let's let's dig in a little because we're talking a little bit about onboarding and first impressions obviously mean a lot. Um, and I, I've spent a lot of time on both sides of the business as both a client and a service provider. But again, first impressions are very critical in many organizations. They, they drop the ball with new clients due to clumsy or annoying onboarding. Um, Scott, I'm going to ask you uh, from, from your perspective, what do best practices in this regard look like? Well, I, I think the, the first step is the fact that um, if you're going to have a successful onboarding of a, a client, um, they have to have options. That sets, the I think, a very positive tone. Uh, clients in general uh, in any business do not want to be dictated to. Right. Uh, if they if they're if they're felt like that, they're they're being handled in a cookie cutter uh, methodology, that's usually not going to provide a good onboarding experience at the end of the day. So specifically from a communication standpoint, um, we understand with clients typically that their customer base or their client base is going to be fragmented in terms of how they want to be communicated to. Uh, for example, you have some who um, they, they want to still have traditional print and mail as their uh, chief means of being reached out to. Okay, there has to be an option in that regard. Some just want email. Uh, some want uh, text messaging. Some want uh, self-serving uh, portal access. And at the end of the day, too, the, the other phase of this, uh, um, to, to be every, every client, uh, I don't care what industry it is, is going to be different in nature. Uh, like, like you were saying, Scott, there's, there's ways to differentiate yourself. There, there is a tremendous amount of difference. There's going to be nuances and anomalies to them. And, and you have to be able to identify what those are as part of an onboarding process. Uh, listen to them. Make sure you're tailoring that entire process and experience to this specific client. And when you do that, 
and, and you and you demonstrate that you're listening and you're paying attention, then I think that's when things go smoothly. That listening and understanding and that customizing component is is very critical. I, I have to agree. I tell you, one of the worst experiences I ever had as a banker. Um, this this organization never got to onboarding because he was 30 minutes into his pitch before he asked me even one question. Right. And 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 we never had to worry about onboarding because there was no way I was going to do business with somebody who didn't ask me any questions, didn't give me any options. Right. Now, Don, you were talking before about the onboarding process in your organization. Can you share us more about that? Uh, sure. Um, the real onboarding uh, process for us is one that, again, would, would bind that uh, client to... <laughs> to the advisor through an emotional attachment that the advisor is going to help the, the client achieve their highest goals and, and aspirations. And then also sets forth, uh, you know, uh, clear expectations on how the advisor is going to communicate with the client on what frequency, by what method. Um, and again, along the way, the advisor is taking notes and capturing those notes in our system uh, for affinities and, and things that are important to them beyond, uh, you know, investments because the reason you invest is because it helps you achieve other things, right? It's a, it's a means to, to other ends. Uh, it's not just about a, a goal, hopefully, of a, a dollar amount that you're going to accumulate in your life, for example. So the, the, uh, the best onboarding processes, uh, I think, do that. Uh, I think they also help to uh, establish and, and set a path for uh, introductions from the, the client uh, back to the advisor uh, very early on. Uh, again, by having a meeting of the minds between the, the client and the advisor on what's important uh, to the client and how we can help the client. And then also an acknowledgement of what the advisor does well and does not do well. And it's okay for our advisor to, if we're not going to be able to meet the client's ex expectations or we're not the right advisor for some reason, just to let, let the client know that up front. And I, and I think that that puts us in a position to where we're not set up to fail you know, down the road. Anna, did you have something before I go to Tio? Well, I was just going to say to to Don's point, I think that the onboarding, that both both the communications that you use in onboarding and the the way that you onboard someone, it truly sets the stage for what that relationship and what that engagement is going to look like through the life of however long the the client is is with you. And that's why I kind of I got to give kudos to Don and his team for recognizing that and and like he said the most successful folks that work for him are are doing are just rock stars at it and i think that that's um i know scott and i have talked about this in all different phases you you have the chance to set the stage for for what the future could look like and i think the the onboarding piece is like right off the bat if you can if you can knock that out of the park then then you just you're setting your yourself up for for so much more success with your clients in the future let me, um, hey, hey, Bob. Uh, let me let me interject a, a question here because here, here's a, a a piece of onboarding that I think may be taken for granted that I know you guys at Doxum could help with, and that is this. So, so think of a scenario where you meet with an advisor. You know, you love the advisor. You're like, yeah, this is the person I want to work with. So you had a great experience with the advisor and then the onboarding starts. And a lot of the onboarding happens after the fact. And a lot of the on onboarding has to do with processing of, you know, let's call it paperwork, even if it's digital. So how easy is it to blow that initial impression with a really clumsy 
after the fact process, right? So let's say you're sitting with, with that advisor and that you had a great experience with, and the advisor asked you a bunch of questions that you answered, and the advisor took their notes, and, the, and it's all this information about you. And then the next thing that happens is you get asked the same exact questions again via some online form or something like that. You're like, didn't I just spend an hour with this person answering these questions? Now I'm ticked off. And it's like, all right, well, maybe this firm is not as impressive as I thought it was. So how do you avoid that? Right? Because that's, that's an important part of the onboarding. It's that follow through with the onboarding where you can easily drop the ball if you're not good. So Scott, I'll let you get in in a second, but one of, one of my, one of the things I think that, that Doxum understands that we work with clients to make sure that they do is not only make sure that that second piece, that onboarding is very smooth, but make sure that there's automatic triggers that can happen within their communication system so that they aren't, so, and this isn't as, as specific to, to wealth management, but more on the credit union side. So to Tio, I'd love to hear what your feedback would be on this, but one of the things that I've done a lot to work with my clients is to, to obviously they're, they're onboarding a, a large, large number of, of members every, every month and to make sure that they can do it in a, in a um, succinct and efficient and, and, and not to dispersonalize it, but an automatic way to make sure that that entire onboarding experience is consistent and it's that it happens on, on a very specific cadence that, that, that they've proven to, to work really well. So Tia, I don't know what you guys do at your credit union, but for, for example, I, I was working with a large credit union about a year ago and they they would they would hook people and they had they they actually didn't use our onboarding tool. They they used a really slick, easy mobile friendly onboarding tool. But the the thing, Scott, that they had trouble with was after they got people, they'd have all these applications just sitting there and and they'd miss huge opportunities to market very, very important things that the credit union was offering. But they really didn't know what to do once they had once they had people hooked and into the credit union and signed on as members, they had all these people that really didn't have any any type of accounts even with them because they did the, the easy peasy onboarding piece, but then there was no email, there was no phone call, there was no text message saying like, hey, can we help you with this? You're in this age demographic where you might want to start saving for a house. We got great mortgage loans or we have, you know, great home, car loans or, you know, whatever their, their marketing initiatives were. So I would take it even one step further, Scott, and say, yeah, first there has to be a very simple, easy, fast way to get someone to get someone in. But then you have to make sure that the, that follow-up communication is there because if 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 it's not, then you're gonna miss a ton of opportunity for, for getting products and services to your clients and members. So Tio, help us out. And also can you tell us what what was different from the Disney experience versus where you are now? And I'm sure there are some learnings from Disney that have followed into the University of Wisconsin? Absolutely. So let me start off with uh, Anna's questions first. So on the credit union side, we do follow any new member with, uh, we have a matrix of emails that uh, uh, based on demographics that you will receive and introduce you to new services that may apply to you. That has a cadence uh, so that we don't bombard somebody right off the bat. So it's spread out over months after they join the credit union. So that is definitely something we have noticed that members join thinking that they're joining only for their checking account, but they don't realize how many other services 
we as a credit union can offer for them and how we can help them. Um, so that's on the credit union side. Let me go back and, and also add a few things. Uh, um, what we're doing on the investment services side, we do send out uh, an automatic welcome uh, from the management of the investment services to every client that joins. And of course, you know, there are other aspects of onboarding, right? Um, setting up ACH automatically. They may bring in a check, but they should always have an ACH attached to, to their account so that money can flow between their uh, financial institution and their investment account. Mobile access, right? That has to happen right away. Hey, Mr. Smith, you know, here's uh, how you can uh, access your account. Uh, let me help you set up that, that mobile account access. Another important piece of the onboarding is introduction to the assistant. This is your assistant. Anytime you need anything, he or she is your point of contact. Uh, because we know advisors are busy in client meetings and they're probably not going to get as fast back to the client as an assistant would. Um, but something else that uh, we start doing is um, first statement call. So as the client receives the first statement, regardless if it's digital or uh, in print, it's important to walk them through the statement. Hey, here's you, here is where you can see your information. This is the growth and so on, right? Because so many of us received a statement from a new financial and we're like, uh, I'm having a hard time understanding the statement. So it, it, it just is part of the process of uh, onboarding. So um, now finally to, to your question, Bob, uh, about um, you know Disney versus here. So of course, um, when I worked for Disney, I was with their credit union um, and their investment services department there. And uh, we developed a, a lot of great things. Uh, and of course, <clears throat> I implemented some of those at uh, UW Credit Union. But when I look back at the experience, it's more the Disney as the corporate company uh, and what they have built around uh, guest experience and uh, drawing so much uh, knowledge from, from that and, and the importance of, of knowing your, your client. That's what I took from there. Awesome. Well, we've had shout outs to Disney, Amazon, Spotify, and I don't know about you, but when I'm online and I wonder if the store or, or firm I've, um, I'm interacting with ever went through their process themselves, because, you know, sometimes I just get I just get cranky. You know, how do you avoid the client annoyance of being asked for the same information over and over again? I came from the insurance industry where we did that continually. And it's just I mean, it, it seems to be a real simple fix. Just like, you know, the first statement call that, that Tia was saying, it's like, it makes sense to call the customer and say, walk you through the, the, the statement. Why do I have to input my name eight times? I think that that, that's, and that's, that's an amazing question because I find myself doing the exact same thing when I'm, it, it, I won't buy something if it keeps asking me the same questions and all this stuff over and over again. Um, I think that, that that's where, working with people that understand the way that communication works and the way that the way that that people in different uh, verticals need to be communicated with um, is is pretty important. It turns into so much more than just getting a name, getting a password and, and having someone be a part of your firm or a part of your credit union or a part of your bank. You know, Scott, I, I, my, so Scott has worked a lot in across the verticals and, and some done quite a bit of healthcare stuff. So I'd love to hear Scott's answer to that. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, two, two quick thoughts on this that I think can make a difference and, and certainly help and avoid this type of scenario that, that you're mentioning, Bob. So um, you hit the nail on the head when you talked about um, you wonder in some of these cases uh, how many of these leaders or executives or just even you know employees in some way have have gone through their own experience. And I, and I, and I liken it to um, you know, I have a little bit of a coaching background. So um, you know when, when you when you review film and, and video, of your opponent, um, that helps you prepare for that specific opponent. But you also spend just as much time reviewing your own game tape and doing your own self-scouting, right? So you look at your weaknesses, you look at your strengths, you look at yourself and say, if, if I was gonna be an opponent facing us and preparing for us, where am I seeing flaws, vulnerabilities, weaknesses that I can attack? I think you have to do the same thing from a business standpoint. So are you looking at, um, uh, your, your own internal processes and, and, and understanding what it's like to be in the shoes of your clients when it comes to an onboarding standpoint? Are you identifying areas that are going to detract from this overall customer experience? It seems to be a, a common thread through our discussion here today. Uh, the second thing is, is that you, you certainly have processes and procedures that you have to follow each time you onboard somebody in order to do so successfully. But I think it also is a matter of encouraging and directing your employees or the folks that are involved in this to make sure that they are looking ahead and eliminating um, areas of the documentation or the process that may not apply to this client. So, so nobody's going through some of the, these, these um, functions and, and processes that really aren't at play as it relates to the opportunity at hand and therefore eliminating them. And then also if there are redundancies in those processes or in that information, is somebody, you know, from a detailed standpoint, looking at this, walking at this and saying, hey, we don't need this or we already have that. Let's move on to this portion or that portion. So really, again, I think it just comes down to, to attention uh, and detail and, and making sure that uh, you, are, you are streamlining this as much as possible. Well, and it, and it goes back to, you know, if you're when I when I was working for an insurance company, I owned our product because I wanted to understand and know what the client experience was. And I think more executives need to do that in the industry as well. Absolutely. Yeah, let, let me pivot and pass the baton over to my partner, Scott. So, Tio, you know, you, you mentioned you had your your Disney experience and you brought a lot of experience from Disney over to your credit union at UW. So can I come to UW Credit Union and get a ride on Space Mountain? <laughs> you cannot, unfortunately. <laughs> that was your follow-up question? <laughs> uh, okay, let me think of a better one. Wait, I got one. <laughs> but your experience will be just as great. <laughs> I trust you, Tio. I trust you. All right. So, so um, this is something that I implied before, and let me ask a question based on it. So you know, clearly one way for organizations to differentiate themselves in a really good way is, as we've been applying, is to, to know their, their clients extremely well, right? And serving, serving their needs accordingly. Um, and that allows them to develop deep, loyal relationships with their clients, right? So as, um, and, and Anna and Scott, I'll, I'll, Scott, I'll call you Scott O to differentiate yourself from me, Scott S. So Scott, Anna and Scott O. By the way, I loved your analogy of coaching. That was, that's actually, when you, when you think about that, that's, that's actually a, a really good, it's, it has profound implications for what we do. Sidelight. Sorry. But anyway, so my question to you guys is, so, you know, Doxum is a, a customer communications management platform, right? And, and 
and, and the objective that you guys have is to enable a lot of this stuff that we're talking about. So from a, from the standpoint of differentiation by getting to know your clients really well, how does a CCM platform provide us, you know, help and, and a solution for that objective. Right. And, and part of the question goes back to what has been referred to a few times here and that's Amazon. Like Amazon gets to know their customers very well because it's almost like they know what you're going to order before you order it. Right. So how does a CCM solution help with that type of getting to know your clients well? Well, I'll, I'll start off and, uh, and, and, and then turn things over to Anna. But the, the, I think a couple of things are, are really, really important on that front. So um, number one, um, we really try to change the mindset and the perspective of our clients as it relates to transactional communication and transactional data flow. So if you have a mindset that is, hey, due to regulatory compliance, I've got to send out statements or notifications in some way, and you have a check the box mentality. Hey, we did it. We got it out the door. We're in compliance. Um, you're really missing on an opportunity to get to know your clients and therefore communicate with them on a whole nother level. And, and what I mean by that is um, sending a statement or a notification may be a regulatory exercise, so the question is, are you getting the most strategically out of that monthly, regular, recurring FaceTime with your client? So along with that regulatory information, are you sending um, marketing material? Are you providing advisory information? Are you perhaps um, you know, pr providing a glimpse of some sort of, of what your organization is all about, who you're becoming, uh, you know, the, the strengths of what you bring to the table, reminding them of reasons that, that, that brought them to you to begin with? Um, it can be regulatory communication, transactional data flow can be a very strong tool from a marketing and from, and from an advisory standpoint. One of the ways that this information flow allows us to get to know our clients, Scott, that you, you, know, you asked is so, about it being so critical, is that we, because of our customer communications management platform, we have the ability to capture analytics that say this document's been looked at, this document's been opened, uh, and so on and so forth. So it's a, ma it's a matter of gathering that information, gathering that feedback, and then strategically giving it back to our clients and saying, as it relates to this communication pipeline, your client base is saying this, or your client base is saying that. That's how we help them to get to know uh, what, what the needs are of their clients, the wants in the overall direction that their clients are going. Anna? Yeah, I echo every single thing that you said, Scott, and I was going to get into the analytics piece in a second. So um, I think that there's there's a couple little pieces that I'll just throw into everything that Scott said. So a lot of people come to us and they just want us to send statements to their members or their clients or their whoever it might be. But the, the clients that really want to elevate their communications are able to log in and see a total dashboard of a total snapshot of of what's going on within their organization with their electronic delivery with their you know how many people are opening their e-statements or what what can they do to encourage more digital adaptation of of statements and of of communication materials so i think that that having all the capabilities to do the the omni-channel stuff so it's print mail email in app and then text messaging plus being able to report back on what is being the most utilized 
is, is super, super powerful. And that makes it so that organizations are able to really capitalize on what, what their member base or their client base wants and needs. And within the customer experience portal, you're able to con completely control every single thing as it pertains to the moment that client logs in to the moment that they their eyes are not on that specific screen anymore. I think that those are, are things that, that can really elevate that customer experience. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. There's, there's so much going on. There's a lot of noise with, with email, social media, text messaging, all this digital interaction, plus print. How can you ensure, how do you, how do you make sure that you stand out and make every communication with your clients as effective as possible? So that's something I think that we work with with all of our clients to do. Uh, we make sure that every every client that works with us has a customer success manager as well as a rep to to work through some of this stuff, and we can give best practices that we're seeing throughout the the, the space or the market. First, we understand what their goals are, and then we help them do certain things to to make sure that they're managing that the the best way that they can, Bob. So within like for example, within our platform. There's all of these different tabs that say like, okay, digital communication, email communication, two-way communication, which is the text messaging, all, all of those things. And then through, through those tabs, they're able to look at the reporting features um, so they can best understand the data that they're looking at. Don, let me, let me move to your perspective on that. Um, and with all this, this, this barrage of messaging, how do you um, do the same? How do you make different messages stand out? And let me and let me dovetail oh. on that, uh, Bob, because I, I wanted to ask the same question and 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 refine that perspective a little bit. So, um, so what Bob said plus the the concept here, I think that we're really exploring is how do you not let client communications go to waste, especially the client communications that you take for granted, whether it be compliance oriented or just you know typical fill out this form type of thing. How do you not let them go to waste? And that's what, if I'm hearing correctly from Anna and Scott, oh, that's what they're talking about, right? Leverage those communications. So in addition to what Bob just asked, I would be really interested to hear from both of you, Don and Tio, from the perspective of your organizations, is that even thought about or are those ancillary communications taken for, for granted? And I ask that question because I've never, in all my consulting, I've never really dug into that with with organizations you know are you leveraging every single touch or are you just letting a bunch of them go to waste and you shouldn't be <laughs> i i would say that we we most certainly have plenty of communication that would go to waste uh in terms of having a great understanding of the types of communication that our clients really value the frequency that they value, uh, I don't think we have good insight into that. And it was interesting just uh, listening to, to Anna. <laughs> I feel that our advisors know our clients very well. And perhaps in management and leadership, we, we don't know our, our client base as well as our financial advisors do because we don't have that flow through of information. Uh, again, from the types of communication they value versus the ones that they don't. To be honest, Scott and, and Bob, I don't think we've really taken inventory of our uh, communication pieces and the methods that we communicate to even, you know, grasp <laughs> which ones are effective and which ones aren't. And so, and, and I have to conclude that we probably have, you know, a lot of communication that 
you know, may, may or may not hit the mark, uh, resonate with the client. John, don't feel bad. We, that's, the, that's why we're in business. We have people come to us all the time that say, well, you guys do statements, right? You, you have print shops and you know, this and that. And we, we absolutely, we do. And that's, and that's, you know, kind of how Dachshund started originally was, um, was a, a print and mail company that, that had these great software capabilities, but now we've had to evolve and transform because we understand the way that, that people need to be communicated to. You know, we, we send out, again, a lot of um, pieces, you know, through our, again, our point of view, our monthly newsletter or weekly, you know, wire to clients, but, but how many of them actually open it, review it, you know, I couldn't say. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a valid, it's a valid point. Is it time well spent? Is it money well spent? Or are there other uh, ways of communicating that our clients would value more based on the feedback they, they give us? And, we, we don't have that. So, Tio, <laughs> Bob and I think alike. <laughs> um, Go ahead, Tio. Yes, uh, very similar uh, to what Don said. Um, I'm thinking about, um, I want to say about two years ago, I remember receiving a, uh, an email from Best Buy, since we're naming companies here. And I remember clicking on a, on a TV. And guess what? The next couple of emails I received from Best Buy were only about TVs. Shocking. Uh, why? Because they knew that I clicked on TV, so I may be in the market for TVs. So the next offers were about TVs. And so many times uh, in our industry, we we know that we have to have the touches, right? Uh, every uh, every so many touches a year, and we send uh, newsletters or uh, things that. Maybe those doesn't even apply to our clients, right? Um, and we have very little insight of what is interesting to clients and what is important to them. There's definitely uh, a better way to do things, and we need to find that way, right? And we need to know what clients want. Um, just communication is not appropriate anymore uh, with our clients, but rather specific communication that matters to them. We fear email fatigue from our members, right? You know, you want to avoid is that unsubscribe link, right? Um, members not wanting to receive any more offers from you. And that happens when when I'm, get, I'm getting bombarded with messages that I don't care about. So to Anna's point, it's so important to, to make sure that our, our uh, messaging is done correctly with our clients and it's valued, uh, it, it has value for them. And I, and I think that, that brings us full circle to where does CRM integration come into play? And that's customer relationship management. And we've been throwing around a lot of acronyms. We've been talking about CCM, customer communication management, customer engagement management, but CRM brings it all together. And Scott, I was, Scott O, I was wondering your perspective on how this CRM integration comes into play with all this. Well, I mean, you know, again, like we've been talking about, um, the, the information that you're able to capture as part of the communication flow regarding uh, transactional communication and, and, and this type of delivery um, is power. It is extremely, extremely critical to not only gather as much of this information as, as you possibly can, but also then do something with it. Um, help it to drive your business, help it to drive your internal initiatives, help it to um, 
you know, go into the, the, the methodology that you use to craft who you want to be in the marketplace. And, and we think the CRM side of things of being able to, you know, again, is another tool in which to be able to, to, to grasp some of this data, organize it, process it, and then ultimately be able to, to use it uh, and analyze it in a way that's constructive, in a way that's strategic in nature. And I know Anna's had some, uh, some experience on the CRM side, especially in the, in, the, in the credit union space. And I'll let her talk about, you know, maybe some of her findings or, or her view of, of just how critical that is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the, the huge thing with 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 almost everything that we're talking about is it's it's all great if you have it, but if you can't report on it, you can't utilize that data and can't utilize any feedback that you've that you've received on on any of your communications that have gone out, then I don't want to say it's wasting your money, but it's it's not even close to as powerful of a tool as as if you can actually utilize the the feedback and the analytics from, from what you're doing. Um, and I think that that's where people struggle and they want to invest a lot of money in certain campaigns or certain ideas that they have, but they have, they really have no way to actually put some evidence and an ROI to this is really working or, or it's not working. Um, so yeah, CRM is a huge, huge piece of it. There's a lot of core banking vendors out there that are trying to that are trying to nail the CRM piece, but it, it's connected to so much more communication-heavy pieces than the actual core banking data. Um, so it's 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 going to continue to become increasingly important, and and it's going to really give power to all of the people that that it's their responsibility to to keep these relationships and 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 enhance that that customer experience. All right, so you know, so so the CRM stuff is 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 interesting, and and, and not that I want to get too into it, but one thing that I know is uh, a bit of a challenge when you look at CRM for uh, bank and credit union investment services programs is oftentimes they have two choices for CRM: either what the bank is using, or if you have a third-party broker dealer, what your third-party broker dealer is using. And sometimes those options are good, and other times they're not good at all. And so if you consider integrating a a CCM system with a CRM system to you and Don, my question for you guys is how much of a challenge does that pose because you are somewhat handcuffed to what you can bring in-house from a CRM system and what you can integrate with? Is that a challenge? Don? Yeah, Scott, we, we have, um, both scenarios you described, actually, we, we our uh, clearing firm uh, has a, a CRM attached to the uh, platform itself uh, that we, we use. Our bank uh, also has a CRM that's used, uh, for, you know, firm, firm-wide. Uh, we only use that uh, CRM firm-wide to track and to make introductions uh, between our, our business lines. But our, our real CRM is, is um, on our, our platform. It does have limitations. Uh, that said, uh, we have our firm is just entering into the single largest IT expense we've ever <laughs> had uh, by uh, by getting a new CRM uh, platform that will be uh, online for us come the first quarter of, of next year. And um, we're, we're still is a business line, you know, wanting to understand the implications of this new CRM and how it will affect the way we communicate with our clients, the way we communicate with each other, the way we communicate with our uh, middle office. We have a middle office between you know, our, our our frontline folks and our, our clearing firm. And uh, there's there's plenty that we don't know yet uh, that we're we're learning as we go. Uh, but 
you know, it's that's that's an ongoing process for us. So I say that the answer is is uh, is changing as we speak. <laughs> but yeah. today we use both the the. It, it, I don't think it's going to eliminate the, the reality of us using the CRM that's on our uh, platform today. Uh, I think there'll be interfaces between the CRM on our platform and our larger CRM that the firm and the, the enterprise will be using. So. Yeah. You know, what's, what's interesting is if you think about the, the perfect, the perfect setup in an organization is you, you have what is called, you know, a data warehouse or a data lake that all your applications tap into, right? So your CRM system knows exactly what your client communications management system last sent to your clients and you can follow up on it and follow through on it. Right. And I think that's what we're all aiming for and, and getting to, and it's becoming with APIs more and more possible. There's still challenges there, but I think that's, that's really what we have to do in order to be able to be very efficient with knowing and leveraging all the communications that uh, touch our our clients, right? So let me pivot, um, Scott. Oh, I want to pivot back to you for a second. Um, hey, Scott, the, can I jump in for just one second on the CRM piece? No, just, okay. <laughs> just kidding. Go. <laughs> for I'll, I'll just keep drinking my coffee over here. It's all good. <laughs> I'm kidding, Anna. Go, go ahead. Go. For no, it. I just, I just wanted to, I wanted to ask Tom, uh, both Tio and Don, um, or maybe, maybe make the recommendation. One of the large things with CRM, Don, is making sure everybody understands how to use it and what they're using it for. If your advisors and your team doesn't understand what they're doing in the CRM and why they're doing it, I see so many organizations across the entire country, whether it's a sales organization, a nonprofit, that's what I used to sell as large nonprofit donor databases or CRMs. Um, if, if they don't understand why they're using it and, and how to use it, it's it's going to be the biggest waste of money the organization's ever going to see. And that's a really big challenge, I think, and something to really think about or something that I would urge anyone to think about who's getting ready to implement a CRM solution. I know so many organizations that are spending millions of dollars a year on a CRM solution and they're underutilizing it by far. If you if you think about CRM, so many companies use CRM to just put notes about conversations, uh, and that's great. I mean, but that's the tip of the iceberg, right? Uh, workflows. Uh, you know, um, we we have our clients um, put in our CRM, and then workflows are created from there. Any kind of um, service level agreements are followed, mm -hmm. triggers, and so on. Um, that uh, ensure that, uh, you know, we follow up and follow through on what we promised we would. So I, I agree with you. You know, you can spend a lot of money and get very little return if you're not careful. For this next question, let me put myself in the seat of some of our listeners and ask, how do CCM solutions really differ from marketing software solutions, Anna? Well, it goes so far beyond a constant contact email marketing tool when we're talking about total CCM and omni-channel CCM. That's that's going to be end-to-end -end communication with clients, members. Um, that's going to be options as far as all of the different ways that someone might want to be communicated to and with. Um, it's going to be someone who's compliant and knows what the regulations are for the specific communications that are being sent out. And then that also is going to be a, a total system to track and manage all of those, all of those different touch points and pieces of information. 
Excellent. So as one of our listeners, I'm sure that has helped clear up a lot. And hopefully we're being true to our untangling fintech series. Scott, did you have something to add to that? Yeah, well, I, I want to. So marketing is a, a critical component of marketing is having the right marketing content land in front of the right clients, because not all clients should get all marketing content, right? And and I think really the implication there is data mining. So that's data mining, I think, is somewhat central to a lot of what we've been talking about, right? Getting to know your clients and client expectations. And we talked about the Amazon effect and everything else. And it's, it's all reliant on, on data mining. So I'd love to ask uh, both of you, uh, all of you, um, how data mining comes into play. And maybe Anna and Scott, first, you can take it from the perspective of the CCM solution. And then Tio and Don, you can let us know um, if you feel you're leveraging data mining uh, effectively in your organizations. But uh, Anna and Scott, do you want to you know, take the, the first swing at that question? How does data mining come into play with your, with your solution? I think first... Typically, it's tied or integrated with some sort of place where all of the the main data typically lives. And we'll have to pull those different levers for different pieces of information to get a a statement out, for example. Um, So I think that as as data mining pertains to a lot of the, the solutions that we're providing, being able to work with an organization like us that has whether it's open APIs to get this data from the different data sources. I think that that's incredibly important. That piece for us has been really important as far as having a structure where we're able to get at different pieces of data that we might need to in order to provide that that type of information in in readable, comprehensible reports back to the people that are are using the dashboard of our our CCM interface. One of, one of the things to keep in mind, Scott, before you, you um, layer into that is that, you know, from the perspective of credit unions and banks, uh, they are pushing their customers out of the branches, right? Uh, you know, everything is going digital. So, you know, I've said this before, the, the reason why we used to put investment advisors in branches is to get in the way of branch traffic. And, and now we're pushing clients out of branches. So there's less branch traffic. So the new traffic patterns they need to get in the way of our data patterns because mm-hmm. everything now is online. So this question is becoming more and more critical um, as these institutions push everything online, right? And data is now king, no doubt, right? So leveraging data and data mining, especially for solutions like you guys have, I mean, that is, talk about front and center, right? So so Scott, I, you know, give, give us your additional thoughts on, on that as data becomes so critical. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with everything you just said there, Scott. That's very true and, and very astute. Just to, just to kind of enhance even on Anna's point, this is where collaboration between, in this case, a CCM provider uh, like us uh, with a credit union or, or wealth management team, whatever the case may be, is, is absolutely critical because um, there, it, it, it's it, if you're trying to make this just um, such a push button operation that there's no real collaboration and, and, 
and, and synergy between the organizations, then sometimes that can limit how successful this data mining is and ultimately what the final product looks like and, and what that experience is. So we really feel that, you know, for, for our IT team, our pro programmers to work with the same uh, individuals that are, you know, monitoring the, the core systems with our, uh, our banks, our credit unions, whatever the case may be, that is extremely pivotal because there's always tweaks that can be made to make that mining go more smoothly and to be more efficiently. That's where in a um, an approach where both sides come together, ready to roll up their sleeves and with a willingness to work with one another as partners to make that element go because uh, sometimes there are some adjustments and and some some tweaks that need to take place so that everybody gets the the, the best result that they're looking for. I um I, I'd love to hear from Don and and Tio on this because you know data mining, while everybody knows how critical it is, and uh, I, and I appreciate the insights that you guys just gave us. Uh, the thing that I know from the perspective of most banks and credit unions is that it, it's one of those things that's out there that they want to achieve because they know how important it is, and it seems like it's almost unreachable, right? Uh, I think we'll get there, but it seems like it's just, you know, it's just, just it's, it's pretty far out of reach right now. And I don't know if that's an appropriate characterization, but, you know, Don, do you want to, do you want to uh, chime in on that one? Sure. Uh, Scott, you mentioned the, the, the data warehouse and, you know, we certainly have a, a data warehouse consisting of information on our, our clients as well as, you know, bank households as well. The warehouse is rich with, uh, data points. And the question becomes, you know, how do we take those data points and relate them uh, to one another and to, you know, our objectives and how we want to communicate with our, our clients and what we want to communicate to them. That That is proven, as you say, to be a pretty Herculean task force to this point is to, to, to get information out of the data warehouse and extrapolate in a way that makes sense and then get it to our advisors where it's, it's uh, actionable uh, sort of information. And uh, where that that is an ongoing uh, process for us. T today, it, it's done via you know Excel spreadsheets and sharing those spreadsheets you know with the advisors and then you know, gathering that information back and uh, in, and in again using it as a firm to where we can identify which um, you know communication strategies have some degree of efficacy and which ones don't. But it's it's uh, it's very labor intensive. Um, you know that that's. That, that's really where we are today. So we can do some very rudimentary things, uh, but we really have uh, some growth to achieve, you know, to really use the information in the data warehouse the way we want to use it. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a fairly typical scenario, right? I've never had an executive from a bank or credit union say, yep, we've nailed it. We've got this data mining thing dialed in and we're killing it. Just is not happening yet, right? All right. I think Bob has the last question that we want to wrap this up on. Is that true, Bob? That is true. And, and this one kind of is, is not really even in our hands, but it's, while it's inconceivable to some, it, it seems more and more people, especially younger demographics, those Gen Zs, uh, for instance, tend to prefer doing their online work on a phone. You know, we're an Apple generation, another, another shout out to an organization. So they work on their phone, even when the laptop is right there, um, how has that affected the delivery and management of client communications? It's something we really don't control. Everyone's using their phone. They're not using laptops or tablets. Anna, you're nodding. I, yeah, I, I just think that that's, that's something huge for everyone to think about who's, who's listening to this too is, 
okay, if, if we're trying to capitalize on, on our client experience, I think everybody's got to think about that, that you, ha- you have to be able to deliver in how the people want to accept it or how, how, your, how your audience wants to receive that information. I, I'm, I'm a little, I think I'm a little bit younger than a couple people on this call. I do every single thing on my phone. Even, if, even when my laptop is right in front of me, I buy so much stuff on my phone and, and not only buy, but it, it's just, it's always in my hand. And I think that something that we've done at Doxum that is incredibly important is not just creating an app, but making sure that every single thing is mobile responsive and also accessible. So that's, that, those are two big things that are incredibly important. And what I mean by accessible is um, with ADA compliance, making sure that all of your communications have screen reader capabilities as well as um as well as enlargement capabilities and, and, and things like that. But then also making sure that it's mobile responsive so that anyone, anytime, anywhere can have the same experience on their phone, whatever screen, on their tablet or on their computer that, um, and, and just make sure that it's offered consistently throughout all platforms. You know, and I did mention millennials and I think Z, but my parents in their 80s use their phone for this stuff, too. So it really runs the gamut of, of generations. It really does. So, so I have a final thought. I'm feeling old and I'll tell you why. <laughs> it's a, it used to be like the generation gap back in, in when I was young, right? The generation gap between me and my parents was the music they listened to. I couldn't stand. Right. <laughs> And, and now it's like music is not the generation gap anymore because I can listen to the music my kids listen to and they listen to mine, right? Now it's the device that you're using. But I have two kids in college and every once in a while, they'll, they'll ask me a question about some form they're filling out for college, right? And they'll have it on their phone and they'll say, dad, you know, I'm not sure how to respond. And they're showing me on their phone and this form is so tiny and it. And I say, you got to be kidding. Your, your MacBook is sitting right next to you. Can I, will you at least see it on there? And they're like, no, it's right here. Right? So now that's the, that's the generation gap, right? <laughs> anyway, so, so uh, on that note, I think, uh, I, think we, I think it's a wrap. Uh, we've covered a lot of really good ground here. And I appreciate the, uh, the input from, from all you guys. Anna, Scott, Don, Tio, you guys are awesome. Um, great discussion. We appreciate your participation, your contributions, your thoughts. Um, it was a fun and informative discussion. And as always, I want to hand it off to Bob for some closing thoughts. Absolutely. This was really a lot of fun. And there were shout outs to I don't know how many different organizations. So, you know, between Amazon and Disney and Spotify. But really, again, a real big thank you to Don Clark, to Tio, to Angie and Scott. And also a shout out to Keena Pettijohn from LifeLogic and John O'Connell from the Oasis Group who were strategic partners for this podcast. Thank you all for listening. All right. Yep. Thank you, everybody. Until next time. Bye. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of Untangling Fintech. We hope you found this discussion enjoyable and valuable. Also, don't forget to check out our other two podcast series, Industry Leadership and Success and BISA Industry Trend Watch. Finally, we'd like to thank the executives who joined us today and also express a sincere appreciation to Anna Hockett and Scott Orr of Doxum for their support of this podcast. Thank you. Please subscribe to our podcast and join us again for future episodes.